I'm ready. And we're live. Come on in, come on in. Yeah, we're going to trying our best to start on time these days, turn a new leaf. You gonna help him? Help him. Help him. I've been watching the videos and it would be good to have two people back there. He's gotta play, he's gotta do this. Either that or we need to move everything closer because he's DJing back there. He's DJing back there. Hold on, they're making decisions back there. I don't want to start before they're ready on me. They're not waiting on me. They were waiting on you, Bill. It was true. Now we're doing this to cover it up. We weren't going to single you out, but since she did, I'm... And, well, we're just going to go ahead and start. Is that all right with everybody? They'll catch up on the video if it's not already running. All right, it is running. Good. Um, what? Oh, my favorite when you do that. My favorite. Um, so remember last week we didn't get all the way through Romans 4, so we're going to pick up kind of where we left off in Romans 4, and then we're going to get into arguably, eh, definitely one of the best chapters of the entire Bible, in my opinion, which is Romans 5. Super powerful um, scripture on the reality of the gospel of God's love of the blood of Christ um, in a way that, just like kind of where we ended last week, it's... It's just too good to be true, but it's the truth. It's the truth, and it's amazing. Um, before we get into that, does anybody have any um, prayer requests or anything that you want us to know about before we pray? Outside of what's already up there? All right. We Don Page, yes. Yeah, we definitely need to pray for Don. I've asked um, Doug to lead us in prayer tonight. What I'd like to do, I don't mind doing it, so I'll, I'll put myself in the rotation, but what I'd like to do is have somebody else lead, if, if you're willing, um, let me know. I'll give you advance notice so you're not coming in here finding out right as you sit down. Um, but... I would like to have more than just me lead prayer on Wednesday night. I don't mind doing it, actually. I love to pray, so it's not to get out of it, but to encourage others to have that opportunity as well. Um, all right, so. You both can't do that and this. No, these are going to, yeah. Yeah, here, let me turn mine off. Can't stand directly in front of it, sorry. Uh, yeah, pray with me. Dear Lord, we're thankful to come together tonight to study your word. Uh, as we study the book of Romans, we're, we're thankful that it shows us the way. The, it's a big argument it, that goes on through Romans of what's right and what's wrong with the gospel. Not what's wrong with the gospel, but how the world views it. And uh, Father, we ask that you help us to see that. Help us to shape our, not only our own lives, but the lives we touch and to bring them closer to you through Christ. Father, we're mindful of those who uh, are in urgent need of prayers right now. Father, we pray for Don Page, uh, after the loss of Nancy, uh, the years that they've been married, the years that they've been friends, the years that they've been together. Um, that's a long time. I'm sure he's, he's devastated. I'm sure he's uh, distraught. 
Um, Father, we ask for your comfort and uh, give him peace. Give him peace knowing of all the, all the good times, the kids they raised, the, the good times they had together on trips and, and such, and even the, the job they did as a caregiver, that he, he, uh, he showed as much love as he could for Nancy. Father, we ask for your uh, comfort for Don for that. Father, we also pray for Pam Gertis. Um, this afternoon she had a appoint, doctor's appointment, which turned into some heart tests and some changes in medicine, but in her home now. Father, we ask that, uh, that everything works out well with her and gets things stabilized and she's, uh, she's okay. Uh, we're thankful for doctors watching over her, and we're thankful Doug's there to take care of her. Father, we're prayerful uh, for Brenda Scott. Uh, Brenda loves her church family. She misses her church family. And, um, but she's, she's no longer mobile. And uh, Father, we ask that you to be with her for comfort and peace. I, I know in her own mind, she knows she's, she's towards the end of days. And uh, Father, give her the peace of when that time comes that she can pass in peace. Father, we ask for your many blessings on each of us. We ask for your blessings on this congregation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, I think he's far enough away. <clears throat> so again... I'm not going to go through all this real quick, but we were in Romans. We were having great discussion. I want to say this too real quick before we start. Um, I never, I rarely ever um, watch myself. So I don't usually go back and watch my sermons. I don't come back and watch our classes. Um, really, because I, I don't know if you're this way, but I don't like the way I sound. So I'm like extra critical on myself. Um, if you like the sound of your own voice, you're very different than me. Sometimes I hear myself and wonder why would anybody even listen to me? Um, but I did go back. I have been going back and watching our Wednesday night classes a little bit. And I have to tell you, it, it, if you have watched the video, one, I, I just want to commend um, Doug and Steve and, 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 and Brian as he works back there too sometimes. Um, you know, they're doing a pretty good job. If you go and look at some other churches that have had to adapt as quick as we did, um, we're, we're way ahead on that. Um, so that's a really cool thing. Another thing I want to do is commend you guys. Um, anybody who's watching can see the fun that we have, the love that we have with each other, um, and the real good, honest discussion that we have as well. I just, I'm really proud of Wednesday night, and I really appreciate everything you guys do to make it what it is, because it's really more about y'all than it is about any of us that are um, kind of running it, running it, you know? The class is always about the students. So I really do appreciate it. Um, it's, been, it's been a lot of fun for me. It's probably my favorite part of the, of the new job, if you will, um, is Wednesday night. This is where we ended last week. Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Remember, we were emphasizing especially the one thing that it seems like the Jews, the Israelites, God's people missed, which was that this was not going to be about one bloodline, one nation, one specific um, group of people that came from the physical body of Abraham, but it was going to be many nations made up of all the people of the earth. Um, and we talked about Abraham's trial and struggle as well in, in pretty good uh, detail last week. So let's go ahead and pick up from there. Against all hope, Abraham and hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Remember when Shad brought that up at the end? Said he wasn't sure how much of a blessing it really was, having a child that old. It says, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old. And that Sarah's womb was also dead. 
Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. And Bertha brought up the fact that he was, um, Abraham was being blessed, that there were all these fruits, if you will, that they could see and they were experiencing through this time of waiting on the promise. But I think it's really cool um, that Paul points this fact out, that he, even though he knew, he looked at the physical formation, the science, if you will, of who he was, who his wife was, they're O for a million, but God promised it. And in that fact, he never wavered. He never wavered. Um, so I think that's a, I think that's a really, really cool thing that Paul's pointing out there. But we talked a lot about Abraham, so I don't want to get too stuck there. I really want to get into Romans 5. So if you have something, feel free to jump in, but I'm trying to get us into Romans 5. Being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised, this is why it was credited to him as righteousness. And that was kind of the whole point of chapter 4. It's not, you can be a good person. Being a good person isn't what's going to get you to heaven. You can do good things. Doing good things isn't what's going to get you to heaven. It's actually not even what's going to take those good things that you're doing and make them righteous in the sight of God. It's the faith that you have that makes the things that you're doing righteous. Kind of the whole point of chapter 4. Verse 23, the words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us. This wasn't just about Abraham in his time, during his trial. This, was about, this is about us in our time, in our trial as well. For us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. What is justification? Say it louder, Mom. Just as if I'd never sinned. Just as if I'd never sinned. That's a great way to remember it. You have been justified through the blood of Christ. That's what Paul's going to get into heavy here in Romans 5. You have been justified also by your faith. So it's as if you have never sinned. We were also talking recently about the, the, the scripture where it talks about God's not going to hold our sin against us. He's not going to hold us accountable for our sin. Our sin still exists in our lives. The struggle is real. The flesh is powerful. The desires of the flesh. But the reality is, is that God, because of our faith, because of our response to him, because we're trying to follow him, God isn't going to count those against us. And remember, we've already said this, but I'll say it again just real quick. We're not saying that sin is okay and it really doesn't matter what you do and how you live. That's not what we're saying. But if you don't have faith in God, you could be the best person on earth. And it's not really going to do anything for you. What do you think about that? Go ahead, Mike. You know, mentioned righteousness several times in this chapter, and of course here it's almost like banking terms. Of, you know, he's balancing the books. But um, I think I mentioned to you after class last week, I was thinking while we were reading this, 2 Corinthians 5, he said, he, he made us to become the righteousness of God. I mean, th this isn't just us being more righteous than we were. This is the righteousness of God. Yeah. It's turned us into something else. Yeah, we are the work of Christ. We are what he came and did everything for. And the truth is, if we don't do the work, the work doesn't get done. We are the work of Christ. And that work becomes righteous because of our faith, not because of how good we are. And yet, the beginning of that scripture said that he made him who to become sin. Yeah, he made him who had no sin or knew no sin, didn't even know it, to become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. 
Anybody else want to add anything to chapter 4? We're going to end chapter 4 move to chapter 5. Anybody? Doug's got to switch that over for me real quick. Um, chapter 5. Again, I will say, is one of the best chapters in the Bible to me. I don't like to um, rate them, but when it, I'm, and what I mean by that is the impact in my own life. This was an unlocking chapter for me. Because I was certainly, I don't know how, how your upbringing was or, or your understanding of the world was, but with me, who I am, and my personality, imagine it as a young kid, completely out of control. It's not fully in control now, but it's reined in a lot more than it used to be. If I didn't have a reason for someone to want me to be around, they typically didn't. So I was constantly earning reasons for people to want me to be around. And I don't know how you feel, but the world is a lot like that. If you can bring something to the table, great, come on in. If you're not bringing anything to the table, see you later. Um, and that was kind of the experience I had. There, it took a lot, of, in, in everybody else's defense, it took a lot of patience to deal with me. I was, I was full of energy and um, stubborn and hard-headed and like I said, I've reined a lot of that in, not all of it. Um, but this is that chapter that gives you a look at Jesus that sometimes it's like we're almost afraid to admit it. We're almost afraid to admit it because it kind of throws a lot of stuff out the window. And if you were raised in a place where you had to get more of your box checked in righteousness than sinfulness or, or more of um, um, your life in, in a way that people would see Jesus or look to God versus your struggles and your, and, and your temptations. <clears throat> and, at, and the only way you were ever going to get to heaven is if you had more on this side of the balance than this side. Then Romans 5 is the chapter for you too. Because we've already discussed the fact that you can't earn it. Because Paul's already been bringing us all the way to this point, and this is kind of a big part of the first five chapters coming all to that moment. Where the statement is just said clear. And he doesn't make any apologies about it. So Romans 5 to me is one of the, just like I showed you a little passage, I think, in Romans 3 that is a very concise, good explanation of the gospel. If you ever have somebody who tells you, Matt, I can't get in. They wouldn't say Matt to you, but you know what I mean. I can't get in. You don't know who I am. You don't know what I've done. You don't know my past. You don't know who I am. I can't get in. I've said before, and I'm sure you've heard before too from different people in your life. I've had people say to me, if I go in the church, I'm convinced that lightning's gonna kill me dead. Because you don't know who I am. You don't know what I've done. God really, he can't forgive me. I'm lost, give it up. You ever have somebody tell you anything along those lines? You take them right to Romans five. Because Romans five says, no, you can't be bad enough for God to stop loving you. You can't get any worse than what you were when Christ died for you. So let's get into it. Romans 5, verse 1. He starts out kind of where he was in, in chapter 4. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So how do we have peace with God? Through Jesus. Is it about you? No. And yes. Is the peace about you? Did you make peace with God? No, you did not. But that peace comes through your justification, which comes through your faith in Jesus. So is it about you? This much. This much. You got to believe. You got to live faithfully. But really, it's all on him. Verse 2, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope 
of the glory of God. If we were to say today, hey, if you haven't sinned this week, stand up. If you haven't sinned this month, stand up. If you haven't sinned this year, stand up. How many would be standing? Anybody feel confident that they didn't sin this week? How about today? That's why we stand in grace. That's also why we can be confident in our salvation, which is what he's already went over in chapters 3 and 4. We can be confident in our salvation because our salvation does not rest in the situation that we are presently in. Our salvation actually rests in something that happened over 2,000 years ago. Then he says, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. But he doesn't, this isn't the only thing he says we rejoice in. Again, a paradigm shift for me as a young man early in my faith. I was a lot, I don't know how you feel, but I was a lot like Job's friend. Job's friends when I was young. Like if something was going wrong, it's probably because I was doing something wrong. And if something was going wrong with you, it's probably because you were doing something wrong. Paul puts a twist on that, doesn't he? Look how he starts. And this is a, this is a, um, this is a whole package. But let's break them down each individually. He says, we rejoice in our sufferings. You rejoice in your sufferings? Go ahead. I don't exactly think it means that we're rejoicing because we're suffering. I think it means that we rejoice in spite of our suffering. Okay. Because our hope's in the Lord. So okay. even though we may be suffering, we can still rejoice because our hope's in the Lord. Okay. Mom, you jumped all the way to the bottom. I, I didn't say she was wrong. I just told her what she did. I'm experienced. <laughs> I'm not going to argue with that. Although you just went all the way to the bottom. Um, that God's in control. Yeah, we know that God's in control. And it's His plan. You know, I find when I suffer, I call God more. I find when I suffer, I lean on God more. I find when I suffer that sometimes my only comfort really is the Lord. So if I never suffer, do I have the same growth as when I do? If everything was always just great and everything always worked out perfectly for me and everything I planned and set out to do, I accomplished with ease, would I have the same reliance on God? Would I have the same stability and consistency of, with God, no matter what's going on in my life? Go ahead, Mom. My grandmother used to say, and y'all probably all heard it too, but my grandmother used to always say that when, when God is all you have, you find out that God is all you need. That's right. And I, again, I think this is, a, this is a whole package deal, but when you look at them from their own individual things too, you see the benefits of each individual thing. Suffering produces what? Endurance. Well, why is endurance important? And why do you need to keep on keeping on? Yeah, because it's life. And we say all the time, life happens. And unfortunately, all of us in our own way, we know that. And all of us in our own way, in some way, shape, or form, we've went through some suffering. Some that we probably brought upon ourselves. And we had to learn from that. And some that is just because it's life. And I've seen where people go through hard times and they could have been one of the strongest people, or at least you thought at least, they were one of the strongest people in your whole church. And they have that one moment where all of a sudden it's like, nope. I'm done. Everything is done. I can't do this anymore. I don't want anything to do with it. You know, it's just done. Suffering produces endurance. Perseverance is what other translations say. We come to expect the idea that even though we are loved by God, that not everything is going to go right, which does not mean that we are not loved by God. 
We see the example of Job. I'm coming back. We see the example of Job. And like I said, a lot of us, I think, at times in our lives, probably related to what the friend said. There is no way all this is happening to you just by chance. You had to have done something. So there's an endurance. There, there's an endurance that comes with suffering. Go ahead, Chuck. I kind of like to liken it to forging your faith. If you're familiar with the forging process, you take something that's a piece of metal that isn't, it isn't shaped, yeah. and it isn't very hard. You smash it into a shape it, with heat and extreme pressure. That's the forging process. Mm -hmm. And it makes it very strong, and it makes it very useful. And I, I, I kind of liken that to this is a forging process for our faith. Yeah. And it makes it strong. It makes it useful. Yeah, I like that too. Yeah. Um, it also makes me think of rejoicing in our suffering. I mean, a lot of times when something bad happens, you go, you know, oh, I, broke my, I broke my back. Thank God I'm not paralyzed. You know what I mean? Or you know, no matter what your suffering is, a lot of times you can think of the good of, of what didn't happen, you know, yeah. and be thankful. So. Yeah, you get, you get caught in the trap if you don't have hope. But no matter what comes our way in this life, we have the hope that everything's going to be perfect in the next. And we also have the hope that this life compared to the next is going to be very short. So what seems like a very long time to us in this world is actually a very small time, even if you had to suffer the whole time. You know, another thing I think about also, and, and, and I agree, I'll, I'll go back to what my mom said and I'll, I'll say this. I agree that it's not always easy to rejoice in your suffering. It's not. In the moment, when you first hear the bad news, when you first get the unexpected um, news or, or however it comes to you in your suffering, it is very hard to say, thank you, Lord, that this terrible thing just happened. I don't think anybody's response, I, in fact, if that was your nor first normal first response, I'd say you're crazy. But there's also the reality that no matter what comes our way, our joy really can't be taken. We rejoice in our hope, but we also rejoice in ourselves because our joy is not dependent on what's going on in the present. It's something that's fixed for all of eternity. Right? And then as we learn that concept, we create endurance. And our endurance comes from, I, I agree with you, Chuck, that forging process, but it's also surrender. I don't think if we don't have any suffering, if, we, if there's never suffering in our lives, I think we'd have a hard time learning how to surrender to God, to his will, to his ultimate authority. And I think when we struggle with endurance through our suffering, it's because we're having a really hard time surrendering to that will. I remember when, um, you know, to me still at this moment, the greatest suffering I feel like I've ever went through was when we... Um, we went through the very unexpected day that um, Amy's sister died. And, and I go back to that a lot because that was a time of forging. That was a time of shaping. And that was a time of real trial for me personally. And I remember thinking certain questions over and over and over again. And there were a lot of questions about why to God. And I can't sit here today and tell you I have every single answer to why. Why, th why at this moment? Why this way? Why did it even have to happen at all? But I can tell you that through that struggle, through that intense search of the scriptures, trying to figure out how to make sense of all this in my young brain, I realized that ultimately I just had to surrender to God's will. Ultimately, I can't expect everything to go right for myself. I don't expect God's um, providential hand to be surrounding me at all times and nothing's ever going to go wrong in my life. And I also can't, I'm not smart, I'm not as smart as God. 
So there are going to be times where things happen in my life where I, don't, I can't find the answer to it. I don't have the answer to the question. But ultimately, that doesn't make me lose my trust in the Lord. And that's endurance. And you know, I've had many other tests since that time. None of them feel as momentous as that. None of them feel as, as big or as devastating as that. And I'm sure that more will come. Maybe even some that are as devastating. But I don't have to lose my faith. And I don't have to let Satan steal my joy even in the midst of my trial. And I will tell you, there were times where my joy was gone. Where I was depressed. Where I didn't want to eat. I didn't even want to take a shower. I didn't want to get out of bed or leave my home. And then endurance produces what? What is character? What is it? Who you are? But he's watching. Yeah, that's, that's the definition I've known my whole life right there. It's, it's, it is who you are, even when no one's looking. You know, the truth is, when these times come in our lives, man, they really do reveal your character. They really do. Why is character important? Do you think character is important? Do you look for character in people? Yourself? Why? You can, you can trust them, you can depend on them to always be that kind of person. Mm-hmm. They're dependable. They're reliable. They're consistent. They're true to their word. Maybe not perfectly, but pretty closely, right? And that creates a completely different response from yourself to that person. So if all of us, think about this, if all of us we're known as people of character from the people we surround ourselves with. Don't you think you would have a different influence? Don't you think you do at times have a different influence on certain people because they know your character, they know who you are, and your word means a little bit different than somebody else they, they don't know? When you go into certain situations, don't you take... You have 10 different people giving you advice on how to handle something. Aren't there certain people that you listen to a little bit closer? It's usually because of their character, isn't it? So the truth is, even in our good, and even in our bad, even in our hope, and even in our suffering, God is molding us, not just to be better people in general, but to be more influential people in the world. Because at the end of the day, as our character grows, what else grows with it? Our hope, because things are changing in you that you know didn't just come because of your own efforts. You know that things are changing in you because of the Lord. You know that you're looking at life in a different way in different times because of the Lord and what the Lord is doing for you and the way the Lord is teaching you to think and teaching you to feel and teaching you to see. Chuck, did you raise your hand? Yeah, okay. Summarized Abraham's life. He did. Because certainly had endurance. Wait around until he was 100. A lot of endurance. And, yeah. and the character that, that would sacrifice his own son because he had the confidence that God would take care of it. Yeah. And, and that hope that he had because 
of his faith because of his heart. Yeah. You, know, you kind of see Paul now does a summary to say he understood Abraham. You understood this is how it fits together. This yeah. is his life. It is his life, absolutely. You know, his hope. God promised him he'd be the father of many nations, right? How many sons did he have? How many sons did he have from Sarah? One. That don't sound like a great start to a father of many nations. But he still believed it. Did he ever reach the promised land, Abraham? He didn't. But he still believed it. And he lived his entire life to the things that God promised him, even though many of those things he never got to see, experience, or really in his life know was going to absolutely happen. But he did because the Lord said it. Go ahead, Carl. I was watching something about how SEAL Team 6 picks their guys. And they had this scale where they go from high performance to trustworthiness and character. And they would rather have someone with more character and medium ability because, as they put it, you can trust them on the battle. You may not be able to trust them so much on the battlefield, but you can trust them with your wife. Yeah. I mean, it, it matters, you know, you put somebody in power, you can trust their decisions if they just have a moral. Yeah. You know, that's, that's my opinion. Yeah, I agree. I, again, the character is the reason why people will trust you enough to follow you. People will trust you enough to listen to you. People will um, be able to rely on you to do something even when they're not there to help you do it. So I think this is a really important thing to discuss because... Again, it's showing us how God is building us, even in the bad times, even in the times where we don't fully understand what is going on. It, it's just showing us that, that reality. I hear somebody over here? No? Okay. So then we get into verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Now I want you to think also, don't lose chapters 1 through 3 specifically. In this moment, because you still got to remember that he's writing to people who feel like they are already, they've already made it because of who they are. And he's still trying to get those people to realize that at the end of the day, we're, it doesn't matter who you are, we're all in the same boat, right? Romans 3, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So he says, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Who's going to save us from the wrath of God? Yeah, Jesus. You know, when I ask the question for the one-word answer, he never says it. It just sits there and looks around the room. That was your cue. That was your cue, Chuck. You were supposed to do it like this, too. Jesus. Uh, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we, have, we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. So let's unpack that a little bit. When were you weak? When we were without Christ. When you were without Christ. You were powerless without Christ, weren't you? That's another uh, translation. Um, says powerless in that. When were you a sinner? When weren't we? Very good. Still are, aren't you? You're just covered by the blood of Christ. Ooh. When were we enemies? Yeah. And sometimes we still even do that. And the reality is, you don't necessarily have to be somebody who's set out to oppose God. You don't have to be somebody who's out there preaching against God to be an enemy. That's how we look at it like a normal life, right? I mean, if, if every person out there randomly is just not your enemy, the people that are speaking against you and in opposition to you, those you might consider to be enemies. We're not just randomly 
oh, well, they're not doing exactly what I'm doing, so they're enemies. But in this context, you don't have to be somebody who opposed God because you don't like God. You just had to live for yourself. That's all you had to do. You're either living for God or you're living for yourself. You're either in alliance with God or you're in alliance with the world. God and the world are not in alliance. It's kind of you're either for them or you're against them, whether you're speaking out against them or not. So the truth is, is anyone in here ever been in a place where they weren't weak? Without God, we're all weak. And at one point in time, everybody in here was godless. Was anybody in here at one point in time a sinner? I think y'all already all admitted to me. You already sinned at least once this week. I think you're sinners. And was anybody in here at one time an enemy of Christ? You see what I'm saying? This is one of those moments where, again, if you ever feel like you've, you've done something or you've went too far and God can't forgive you, you can't get any worse than what you were when he died for you. You really can't. Whatever the worst thing is you end up doing in this life, he already died for it. He already died for it. It's the amazing love of God that is saving us from the wrath of God that we all deserve because at one point in time we were weak, because at one point in time we were sinners, because at one point in time we were enemies of the cross. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, so very rarely would somebody die for a good person. Paul's saying Christ died for all of us while we were bad. So we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. And this is where he's really building to his, his next point. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So let's talk about that. What's reconciliation? What's reconciliation? The two opposing parties back together. Yeah. If what was, if you're either... If you are friends with the world, you have what with God? What is that? I, yeah, what is it? Yeah, what does it mean? Yeah, it means, at the very least, it means there is a, there is a friction. There is a friction. There is a... Um, Problem that needs to be, not to use your own word to uh, define it, but reconciled. It's like when you have an argument with your spouse. That needs to be reconciled. Until it's reconciled, there's probably going to be some friction. And the relationship's not going to be what it should be until it is reconciled. Same with your children. Children disobey you, there's probably going to be some punishment. And if there's punishment, there's going to be some friction. If there's no friction when you, punish, when you punish your child, or maybe for some of you I should say grandchildren, then you're not even punishing them right. There's no friction. There's no punishment. But there also has to be reconciliation. There has to be a time where you come back around and you make sure they understand exactly why Things had to happen the way they did. There's reconciliation. If you've ever been in an argument with somebody and you just walk away and you never resolve it, you never reconcile it, that relationship that you once had with that person, it will never be the same. You'll never get it back to what it used to be. You know, there's a lot of people in the world that would rather just walk away than address it. And truth be told, that's what God could have done. He didn't know it to us. But God is a God of reconciliation. And even though it was really us that brought the friction, it was us that 
created the, the decision to go against God and, and therefore we sinned and we created this friction. It was God who said, I'm going to fix it. Anybody want to say anything to that? Go ahead, man. That's weird, but the, the definition of that word comes from exchange, like money changing. So, okay. I don't know, just something that's a little bit different. You see the coin part in there. So yeah. It's, um, it's like the paying of the debt. Yeah, and, and make it something worth more than it is. Sure. So, yeah, so it will count. But I also want you to think about it from that standpoint of, and I guess another word or a phrase to use is be conflict resolution. There was a resolution to the conflict and God paid for it with his own blood. Go ahead, Chad. Yeah, of course, it was all That's right. On the cross. On the cross. Verse 12, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, I, I put... You know, I always put the, if, if y'all haven't figured this part out yet, I'm pretty sure you have, but I always put the names and stuff in green. I try to kind of color code some things for you, but who's the one man? Who, who's the one man that same sin came into the world through? Adam. And death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sin. I want you to, um, look at this closely because this is a, if you've ever heard of original sin, which is very prevalent in, um, in, in certain um, interpretations, I'll say. Um, this is a lot of where it comes from. But I want you to see right here at verse 12 where the beginning of this argument starts. He says, death through sin, and so death spread to all men, not because of Adam's sin, but because because we're all sinners. We're all sinners. And we've all sinned. We didn't need Adam to uh, teach us how to sin. We did it ourselves. Verse 13, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. This is, a fun, this is where, one of the funner parts right here. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Look at this. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. What's significant about Adam? Sin entered the world through Adam. What's significant about Moses? Yeah, he brought the law. So from, sin, from Adam to Moses where the law comes in, was there still sin? Enough that God did what? Yes, in a flood? Everybody, what? Yeah. If Adam and Eve hadn't sinned, there wouldn't have, they would have lived forever. Yeah, that's true. So, you know, death came as a result of sin. That's right. That's right. But reconcile that with where sin is, sin is not counted where there is no law. Go ahead. Didn't per se bring sin. They brought in the knowledge of sin. They'd done things wrong before they ate that apple or whatever it was. It might be. <coughs> but it wasn't counted against them because they didn't know. They didn't know any better. Okay. From when they knew, now it was sin because they knew what the right thing was to do and they did the wrong thing. They did the, th they did the thing that not pleased God because they now knew the difference between good and evil. It's not the, it's not the tree of sin. It's the tree of knowledge of sin, of good and evil. Yeah, that's right. And so, but I, I'm not sure how much that went down where they didn't understand it until they got the law. So I think... One of the things we have to reconcile with this is the reality that Paul's making that you don't need law to sin. All right, let me let hear me out. Hear me out. Did Adam and Eve have law? They did have one. 
They did, didn't they? What was it? Yeah. Did they break that law? And it was held against them. It was counted against them. They were punished with curses that changed their lives forever, and they were also banished from the garden. Go ahead, Chuck. Page taught a class one time, and it, it was in Romans, always stuck in my head. Because you have to look at death, in Romans particularly, from two perspectives. Because he does talk about the first death and the second death. Yeah. And death means separation. Spiritual death means separation from God. Yeah. Physical death means separation from this world to the next. Yeah. I think a lot of what he's talking about here spiritual death hmm. because people continue to die now that's true but and that won't go away but people die and then are revived spiritually so death doesn't reign and that's the first death not the second death hmm. okay We're gonna, I'm going to add on to that here in a little bit but I, I do think that's a very interesting point so let Everybody agrees that everybody who's ever lived outside of a very um, Enoch and Elijah also died. Everybody. As far as we know, is that what you said? As, yeah. Everybody. Not recorded in the Bible, so. <laughs> okay, fair enough. You got me on that. Except for us. With, <laughs> Okay. We have, you're right. You're right. Got me on that one too. You know, you ask these questions in your head at home without response. This is what you get. <laughs> then let me ask you, let's go to the next part real quick. Cause I think it's, it's all going to start to come together. But this, this is, to me, this is probably one of the more interesting parts of the entire text. Cause a lot of what we've already discussed in Romans five, most of us, we know the gospel, we get it. Even, look where he says this. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. Why was Adam's transgression different? Because he disobeyed a law. Because of, he disobeyed a law. So, you're, you're, so there's a gap in, you have the one rule, he broke the one rule, then you have a gap in time before you get to Moses. All right, I... I agree with you on that, but I think it's even deeper than that. How was Adam's experience in the garden different? Yeah, he was in the presence of God. When they sin, when you sin, does God come looking for you? Does God say, hey, why are y'all hiding? No, he doesn't. That's, that, he probably does here. I think he does here for sure. I'll say that. But this is different. This is even different than mine and your experience. You, have you seen God? Have you walked with God? Physically been in the presence of God? Well, that's a trick question, right? Because where two or three are gathered in my name, so am I. But this is different. When God said, where are you? It was audible. The presence was there. God created them. He was part of that experience. He was right there. And they still got to a place where they said, you gave me one rule, but I've decided I'm going to do something different. I think that's very different. So when he talks about, in fact, really, this is where you're going to think I'm crazy, but it's okay. In fact, really, when you take Adam's experience, who's he most like? I think that's a very different experience than just about everybody else who ever lived. Being in the garden. So who would he be most like? Say that again, I'm sorry. He's like Christ in that Christ was with God for eternity. He's like Christ? For sure. I think he's also like Satan. 
I do. And this, don't get too crazy with this, but just understand what I'm saying. He's in the presence of God. He's experienced God on a whole different level than we have. He's in the Garden of Eden with God. He's there in creation with God. He is having a relationship with God. And at one point in time, he decides to believe the snake over God. He decides that what God's told him to do isn't what he should do. And to me, based on my own study, that's, that, that's exactly what Satan did. So, go ahead, Paul. Uh, Adam wasn't deceived. Eve was deceived. Adam just stood there and watched. He watched and then she said, hey, you want to try this too? Yeah. That's, if you want to blame the women, Paul, that, you know, that is, that, you're trying to get me in a hole. Yeah. <laughs> Paul's blaming the women. No, I know that's not what you're, I'm just kidding. But Adam blames God. He said it was the woman that you gave to me. Yeah. <laughs> Adam tried to blame Hey, if you never made her, I'd never been in this mess. That is, that, you're, all right, you know what? <laughs> I feel the age-old argument coming. I'm going to back away. Go ahead, Paul. And there's one other piece that we probably need to remember, and that's the peace with Cain. God was still talking to them face-to-face -face with Cain because he said, Cain, what are you doing? Why are you looking like that? That's true. That's true. We're going to get Cain. We're going to get Cain. Did you get that on? I hope you picked that up. There's no, I've never met anybody more timely with the puns in my life. Never. Okay. But just like Sue said, just like Paul's about to say, Adam's also a lot like Jesus. Which to me shows kind of the very nature of us all is that when we know what God's will is and we choose not to do it anyway, we're not following Christ. We're following the deception of the devil. And when we do what God's will is, we're following Christ and, and Christ is living in us and, we're, and people are going to see Christ through us. All right, get, to get down to this bottom part. Who was, he says, who was a type of the one who was to come? What type? A prototype? Is it like Adam 1.0, Adam 2.0? Jesus was firstborn of all creation in a different way. Firstborn of the resurrection. Yeah. Firstborn of the living who who I want who wants her dead. Okay, so we see kind of where he's going, right? Now we're gonna have this big compare and contrast of the two struggles, if you will. The struggle of us in the way we mess things up and the struggle of God trying to reconcile us, justify us, and bring us back to him. And I underline free, and I want you to see how many times it's, it says free. And I did that on purpose. Because I'm telling you, I think we're all susceptible to getting in these modes where we feel like we've got to do enough. We have to do enough. There has to be some form of payment that comes from us that will eventually get us into heaven. Your payment is your faith. It's just your faith. 
It's just your trust in God. It's just your surrender to his will. It's just your willingness to walk in his steps despite the entire world telling you you're a fool and you're going the wrong way and you're doing all this for nothing. That's the payment. That's right. That's what it is. But it's free. It's free. You can't earn it. There's no payment for it. Jesus already paid the full price. Go ahead, Paul. We're saved by faith through grace. That's right. So it's the combination of our faith, His grace. Yeah, absolutely. Without the grace, without the grace, I'm not covered by the blood. That's right. All right, verse 15. But the free gift, Chuck. Do you want to say something for us? Start. Go ahead. And sometimes people want to misinterpret it to say, "Well, if it's free, I don't have to do anything." Mm-hmm. That's not what it means. It means you can't, like they said, you can't earn it. There's nothing you can do that makes it where you're warranted for what you get. That makes it free. Doesn't imply that you don't have to do anything. Right. And he's going to nail that around the six. He's going to nail that over and over and over again. I know you know that too, but he is. He's going to nail that in Romans 6. If you ever think <clears throat> that you have a free pass, it's, it's not a free pass to do what you want. That's not what, it, that's not what the free gift is. It's a free pass from the burden of your sin, though, because of the blood of Christ. All right. The free gift is not like the trespass, for if many die through one man's trespass, so many die through one man's trespass, is again one of those parts where they like to forget everything else we just discussed, where that one man... Through one man we got the knowledge of good and evil and we've all chosen to make our own sin, right? So that one man being Adam, for if many died through Adam's trespass, much more the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. So the free gift, it's not like the trespass. How is it not like the trespass? The reward is different. What's the reward of sin? Yeah. What's the reward of grace? Yeah, reconciliation, (laughs) salvation. Okay, and the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, being Adam. For the judgment following one trespass, for the judgment following one trespass, brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. I want you to see that the, we get caught up in, in, the, in, the, um, in the condemnation and in the trespass and the gift and the justification. I don't want you to miss that there was one sin. And, and Again, this is that time where, you, have, where you, can, you can bring your friends in to realize whether I've only sinned once in my life or I've sinned a million times in my life. It only took one. It only took one to condemn me. It only took one bad choice and I was no longer perfect. And if I'm not perfect, then I'm not truly godly. I'm not. Godly, because I'm not perfect, because godliness is perfection. God does not make a mistake. God does not sin. So it only took one to make you a sinner. I don't think any of us ever stopped at one. But it only took one. But just in the same way, that free gift, even though you've had many trespasses, it took that one sacrifice to get rid of all the trespass. What do you think about that? Much more, how much more? I think part of, part of what he's trying to get across here in the comparing contrast is that you know, this one little thing, God came at it with just an infinite amount of grace to overcome it. It's, it's the how much, how much more, right? You know, 
that one thing happened. God did all this. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I think you're right. I think there's... So, through... I'm coming to you, Paul. Through the one man's sin, we all become sinners. We all get the knowledge of good and evil. We all use that knowledge of good and evil to sin just like everybody else. That's what we all did. And that was a world-changing thing. Don't miss that. It was a world, it changed the world. That one choice by that couple. Changed the world. And it wasn't for the better, was it? In fact, it made the world a lot worse. In fact, it made the world a lot worse really fast. And then we started over and, we, and it made the world a lot worse again. But then you have that one sacrifice. And, and he's going to repeat this a little bit, but I, I want you to see it right now. He's saying, look, for everything. Man, y'all got to tell me when it's getting late. I don't always look at the clock. Mercy. Um, even though there was this huge world-changing moment with sin, he's saying what Jesus did, it's so much more. It's so much more than all the sin combined together could ever be. It's so much more. Where, where grace abounded, I mean, where sin abounded, grace abounded even more. Okay? Okay, go ahead, Paul. have the power of salvation. As we learn right, uh, I'm going to jump ahead for just a second because we're going to have to stop anyway. But as we learn in verse 20, the law came in to increase the trespass. The law was part of that first covenant. The sacrifice that pushed your sin forward was part of that first covenant. But when Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it, that's what he's talking about. That second covenant. There was no salvation until the second covenant. It was just being pushed forward to it. Anything else for right now? I'm going to have to stop. Man, I just talk too much. I'm sorry, guys. We're going to start right here. Right here. Next week. Any, anything anybody want to say? Did you, Betty, did you want to say something at one point? Did I skip you? Are you sure? I thought I saw your hand... Okay. All right. Well, thanks for coming tonight. We'll get, we'll get a little bit through. We'll get through Romans 5 next week, and we'll start Romans 6, because they go together really well as well. So, um, again, thanks for coming. Thanks for your comments and, and discussion. Always enjoy it.